is always a blessing for us to be together. Uh, today is, is one of those days when I'm just, my, my heart is full, but it's also kind of scattered. It, it's being pulled in a lot of different directions. Uh, and it's, it's a good thing. Uh, it's not always a good thing, but this morning it's a good thing because my heart, part of my heart's with our, our high schoolers. They're on a retreat this morning. And, and I want us to carry them in our hearts. I want us to be prayerfully thinking about how God is going to use not only what Avery and Victor have planned to have happen this weekend, but for the things that the Holy Spirit is able to do that we, we just can't plan. Uh, I'm thinking about all the amazing things that happen at Dry Bones and through Dry Bones because of the generosity of this church and because of the, the courage and the sacrificial hearts of the Wallaces and all the people they work with. It's not often as we prepare to have a little bit of bread and a, a little sip of grape juice that I think about that amount of food helping someone else get through the day. I don't think about how close so many people in our world are to, to barely making it. And yet as we think each week about communion and coming to the table of the Lord, you know, we're all beggars at that feast. And I, I don't remember that nearly enough. And I, I just think about change of life and, and all of the good that happens, again, because of Tony Malden and all the people who work with him. You know, I, I think as far as God's concerned, sometimes peanut butter and jelly really does become the Lord's Supper. I mean, there's even grape juice in there somewhere. And so this morning, my, my heart is full, and it's scattered, and it's headed in a bunch of different directions. I, I can't even remember all the places my heart's going this morning. I'm preaching at Bar Church right after church this morning here because of all the amazing things that happen. Because this church, nine years ago, took a risk to try to help reach people who might not ever find the courage to walk into this building. You know, sometimes I think too often we focus on Jesus going where we want to go. But discipleship means we follow Jesus where he's already going. I can't even keep track of all the amazing things that God's doing through the people who are connected to this church. And isn't that an amazing thing to know and to believe that we can't even tell all the good, even if we tried? We can't know all the amazing ways that God is working and changing and healing and saving. And whether we're able to know it all or understand it all or see it all, brothers and sisters, you're absolutely a part of all of those things that are happening. What an amazing blessing to be a child of God. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for this morning, for this time we have to gather together as your people and to remember all the ways that you've scattered us throughout the world, different places and different people and different ways that, that we can carry on your ministry and your mission. And God, we are so thankful because we know that you don't actually you don't need us to be a part of your ministry, but you bless us by asking us to be a part of your ministry. 
that you invite us to do things we could never do on our own without you. And you help us in ways that maybe we don't even, we don't know how to anticipate. You help us see you at work in our world, and it gives us hope. God, as we open our hearts to your word this morning, we pray that you would, through your Holy Spirit, help each one of us hear exactly what you need us to hear. And we pray that not only would we listen, but that we would be open to changing who we are because of what you say to us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So we're continuing this focus that for, for this year, actually all the way back to December in the this, this season of Advent, we've been looking at the gospel of Matthew. And if you're, you're like me, there, there have been things that you've been really familiar with as we go through this gospel, things maybe you've heard before. And then there's, there's new things. There's things you've never seen before that maybe you've started to see or things you haven't heard before that maybe you're, you're starting to hear. And maybe there's things that that as you try to wrestle with, okay, what does it mean for us to be people who don't just listen to the gospel story, but we, we're caught up in it, that it becomes our life story? What does that mean, right? And, and as much as I would love to be able to tell every single person in this room what that means, we need the, the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit to help that miracle of, of understanding and change lives happen, because it is for all of us, but it's also just for you, right? That it is communal, but it's also individual. And so as we think about what is it that God wants us to hear in the moment, some of us as committed followers of Jesus, others of us maybe still not sure whether or not that's something that, that we feel called to do, all of us in different places in that journey, what is it that you need to hear this morning? What is it that I need to hear? You know, one of the things I've been convicted about as we've we've been reading these stories, is how much I expect Jesus' closest friends and followers, you know, the 12, his, his disciples who are going to eventually become apostles, I, I expect them to get it. With everything they've seen, with everything they've experienced and witnessed, I think, okay, if anybody's going to know what it really means to follow Jesus, they're the ones. And yet time and again, and especially in the Gospel of Matthew, Peter has a starring role of being the person who points out that even if he should get it, he doesn't. And I don't think he's just speaking for himself ever. I just think he was brave enough to say what the rest of them are usually thinking. He doesn't understand exactly where Jesus is going. And because he's a follower, that means he doesn't understand where Jesus is leading him. And when he starts to, to hear Jesus talk about a cross instead of a throne, and losing his life instead of winning some sort of, of struggle against the, the empire of Rome, when Peter starts to piece all that together, and he starts to realize it's more than just Jesus who's able to do these amazing miracles through the power of God, but that Jesus is going to use that power to save the world and the shape that that's going to take as a cross. Jesus says, hey, I got a better idea than you. Did I say Jesus says or Peter? I'm losing myself in my own sermon. <laughs> Peter says to Jesus, I've got a better idea than you. And Jesus says, uh, I'm the teacher. You're the disciple. That's not how it works. So listen again. Watch again. Now you think, especially if in that lesson, Jesus said to you what he said to Peter, which is, get away from me, Satan. 
You're not thinking the things of God. You're thinking, you're thinking through the wisdom of the world about how this should all go. And I'm telling you, you don't understand it. If Jesus had ever called you Satan, I'm guessing you'd stop asking questions that are suggesting you might have a better idea than him. Peter's still got a few left. It's not a one-time conversation. It's not this clarifying moment where from that, that time on, Peter sees it. He, he gets it. He understands it. No, he still struggles with it. And look, brothers and sisters, it's always easy to read a story about Peter and shake your head and think, man, I, I don't know how you could be that, that confused. I don't know how you could keep trying to remake Jesus to be the kind of leader you want him to be. Man, it's so easy to stay at that safe 2,000-year distance and to think, I'm glad that, that Peter was the one who had to learn that lesson and not realize that we're all Peter. That we all have had moments before in our spiritual journeys, if, if we're committed followers of Jesus, we've had these, these moments where we see it clearly and we hear the voice of God clearly calling us to leave everything and follow. And then somehow or another, we start to come up with a version of following Jesus that doesn't ask everything of us, that, that doesn't ask us to be uncomfortable, that doesn't ask us to wrestle. And every time we do that, we're basically pulling Jesus aside and saying, hey, I know you're talking about a cross and sacrifice, and I'm supposed to do the same kind of stuff you say you're gonna do, but I've got this idea. Just hear me out. What I'm trying to say here is faithfully following Jesus is not the same exact thing as fully understanding Jesus. That's what the disciples in every one of the gospel stories, they remind us that it's never just one sermon or one lesson or one moment. And then you can say, I get it. I fully understand I'm never going to wrestle with it again. I'm, I'm never going to have doubts again. I'm never going to come up with, with what I think are better ideas than Jesus' ideas again. No, we are, are people who have to come to the point that we trust grace enough to be able to say without fear, there are certain things about following Jesus that I think I do get, but man, there's a lot of other things that I haven't learned yet. And that's okay. I would much rather... Be at a place in my life, in my spiritual journey, where I can see some things clearly and, and understand that I don't see other things clearly, and I'm, I'm not trying to pretend otherwise. I'm not trying to convince myself or you that I've got it all figured out, but that I trust that the whole reason we come together week after week after week is because we will never fully understand this side of heaven. So we keep showing up, and we keep praying, and we keep reading, and we keep singing, and we keep taking the Lord's Supper, hoping that whatever it is that we haven't, we haven't come to an understanding of yet, that God will help us see more and hear more and experience more. That's discipleship. Well, in Matthew 19, one of the, the more difficult learning sessions happens. Now, we're going to read it together here in just a moment, but just to set it up for you, what's happened right before this is that a, a rich young man comes to Jesus and says, I'm pretty good at this religion thing, but you seem even better at it. 
So do you have any pointers on how I could be even more impressive in my ability to please God? What am I lacking? And they talk about the Ten Commandments and living the life that Moses talks about in the law. And, and Jesus says, but you, if you think this is some sort of a competition of how much you can you know, do on your own, then I guess I'll say you do lack one thing. You, you have all this money. You have all these resources. I want you to give all that away and then come back and then, then, then you can follow me. And he can't bring himself to do it. So it's at that point that we start reading together in Matthew 19, verse 23. So then Jesus said to his disciples, I assure you that it will be very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. In fact, it's easier for a camel to squeeze through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter God's kingdom. Now, I want to stop at verse 24 for a second to do a little Bible nerd stuff. Okay, you can read commentaries that will tell you that the word for camel could mean rope so that the image that Jesus is talking about is someone trying to take a rope, like let's just picture a, you know, a pirate ship rope. I don't even know what that's called, but somebody here probably does. And they're trying to get that rope through the eye of a regular needle. Uh, you can also read people that say it's not the eye of a needle like just the normal what you're thinking about when you hear that phrase. It's the name for a, th this tunnel, this gateway that, that you could actually squeeze a camel through. You just had to get it down on its knees and kind of get it through. What I'm trying to say here is you can read all kind of commentaries that miss the entire point. Jesus is using a purposely ridiculous image. Because I don't care who you are, you can't get a rope through the eye of a needle unless you unbraid the rope and turn it into a thread. And I've never successfully got a camel to get down on its knees and go through a gate in my life. Camels scare me. Anyway, <laughs> this isn't about it's really, really hard for you to do. That's going to be clear in just a moment. So I just want to tell you, the reason we took this little aside is... People who've dedicated their lives to not only following Jesus but trying to understand the Bible can get themselves to the point where they still are trying to say, it's really, really hard, but we can do it. Uh-uh. That's not the point Jesus is making here, okay? Verse 25. When his disciples heard this, they were stunned. Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them carefully and said, it's impossible See, Jesus just told you what verse 24 meant. <laughs> it's not really, really hard. It's impossible for human beings, but all things are possible for God. And then Peter said, look, man, we left everything. So uh, what are we going to get? What, what's, how's this working? And Jesus said to them, I assure you, you who have followed me, that when everything is made new, Another way to translate that, by the way, is when the, the new world comes, which I think is Jesus' way of saying when the kingdom of God comes on the earth as it is in heaven, right? When everything's made new, when the Son of Man sits on his magnificent throne, you also will sit on 12 thrones overseeing the 12 tribes of Israel. And all who have left houses, brothers, sisters, father, mother, children, or farms, or estates, if you 
haven't ever been a farmer, because of my name, will receive 100 times more and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first, many who are at the top of the pyramid now, right, won't be then. Many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Okay. Every time I have ever sat through a class or sat through a sermon or tried to teach a class or preach a sermon on the rich young ruler, I'm always convicted at how demanding the call to the kingdom really is and how compromised I am, how often I try to mix in my ideas of what it means to be in the kingdom with God's ideas of what it means to belong to the kingdom. And I'll just tell you right now, my ideas are always a lot easier on me than what God is actually in Christ inviting us into. And I think the I think the struggle with all of it is you you cannot enter into the kingdom. You can't experience kingdom life. Another way to say that is you can't experience the life God meant for you to get to experience as long as you think you've accomplished it. As long as you think it's happening because of what you've done. That it's your success, that, that it's your hard work, that it's your strategy, that it's all the resources you bring to bear. That as long as that's how you're seeing yourself, you're not experiencing the kingdom. And, and the struggle with all of this is, it doesn't matter how many times I hear somebody tell me, that God and God alone can save me, that it's God's grace that lets me in, I keep trying to prove to somebody, at least myself, but maybe even you, that I was worth saving because of all these other things I, I bring with me. That, that I, I have such a difficult time understanding just how much I will always need, that I will always need God's grace, forgiveness, hope, power, everything, every good thing I have in my life, right? That I will always need to receive those things from God because I can't manufacture them on my own. I, I think all of us struggle at various ways in our, our journeys of faith to think that, that maturity means we're able to handle more and more difficult things for Jesus. When, when spiritual maturity in the kingdom means we become more and more comfortable with telling anybody who's willing to listen, any good thing that's happened in my life is because God helped it happen. God placed me in the right situation. God gifted me with the right opportunity. God gave me insight or wisdom or talents or whatever. And I'm not going to take credit for any of that because every good thing in my life is a gift. And so if you're impressed with me or anything that's happened, you're actually impressed with God. 
Paul says it over and over. If I'm going to boast in anything, I'm going to brag about how Jesus has loved me and how Jesus has worked through me. I'm taking credit for none of it. That's life in the kingdom. And it's so difficult. And here's what I think. When the the disciples say, who then can be saved? What they're doing is they're helping us understand how they saw religious people who were really good at following all the laws and all the regulations. Then you add to that, not just a religious person who seems to be good at religion, but he's been successful in life because he has all of these financial blessings, right? All of these resources. They look at that guy and he seems to have it all. And they, they think that people who have succeeded in the eyes of the world and people who have succeeded in the eyes of the church, if they're not saved, then who else is? And Jesus says, the problem with how you're seeing him is it's also how you're seeing yourselves. You think that religious pursuits, you you think that there's some sort of grade book in the sky and that there's going to be some graduation party at the end of time. And there's going to be this award ceremony. And and those of you who are really good at this stuff, right? All the things that people look at and say, man, you are so committed that I'm going to give you a gold star or something. That's not how it works. Are you following me? Are you trying to prove to me how impressed I should be with you? Are you following me? Are you trying to make a bunch of other people watching you be impressed? When, when he says all things are possible for God here, he's not saying it's possible for God to partner with people who have a lot of resources and then he's going to help them save themselves. That's, that's not what he's saying. He's saying that God loves you in a way that if you're ever going to fully experience it. Now listen to me. I didn't say you can change God's mind about whether or not he loves you. You don't have that kind of power. God loves you. But if you're going to experience that love in the way you're supposed to, the way he longs for you to, you come to him with nothing to give but your heart. And brothers and sisters, your heart is broken, and it's wounded, and it's jealous, and it's competitive, and it's got all of those things right there that you would love to hide from God. And you know what? He sees it all, and he loves you without condition anyway. That's the doorway into the kingdom. That's When you start to believe that, when you start to trust that for real, then every good thing you do is just a way to say thank you. You're not doing it from fear. You're not doing it to prove yourself. You're not doing it to, to make you, you feel like you, you have a value. that you, you, Your value is not accomplished through what you do or don't do. Your value is set by God and God alone. The more you and I can learn to trust and believe that, the more all of our relationships, all of the ways we move through the world, it starts to become a foretaste of glory divine. 
Because everything in life then is a gift and everything we do is a gift that we're sharing with other people and we're not trying to manipulate anyone. We're not trying to manipulate outcomes. We're not trying to guarantee that we're gonna be a success in the eyes of the world because it doesn't matter if the world ever understands us or not. God understands us. And we're trying our hardest to understand him back. That's the journey we are on and the kingdom we're in. It doesn't have report cards. It doesn't have, you know, the... We're about to, aren't the Oscars tonight? Ugh. Sorry. There are no Oscars in the church. Thank goodness. Stop trying to win an award. There are no awards in the kingdom. We got to be okay with that. In a competitive world, we gotta be okay with that because in the kingdom, it's not competition, it's cooperation, it's collaboration, it's community. The only way to enter the kingdom is to exit our attempts to make it on our own. The kingdom of heaven, brothers and sisters, it's not a place of self-reliance, it's a place of God-reliance. The more mature you get in the ways of the kingdom, the more you should be the first one who's able to confess to anyone who's struggling. I am where I am because of God. I have been rescued. I have been redeemed. I have been saved because of God. Because of God's love for me, and I want you to experience that love I don't want you to be wrapped up in trying to prove that you're good enough to be saved. You're not good enough to be saved. God is good enough to save you. It is impossible for us, and this is the part that I think Jesus is really struggling to get his, his disciples to understand. When, when we see ourselves as bringing a, a bunch of resources and a bunch of skills and a bunch of talents, and we're, we're trying to say, I, you know, I think I... I need to have people following me or, or I need to get to run this or, or I should be the one who's making the decisions or you know all those temptations we have that, that we develop in the world and then we somehow try to drag them into the kingdom. And Jesus says, no, you just, the starting place and then the place you never leave is total dependence on God. And then total dependence on God is supposed to naturally lead to total devotion to God. See, when we're holding a part of ourselves back, even when it's for good reasons, even when we're trying to say, look, I just, I get it. I, I get that you say we, we need to, to empty ourselves and, and to, to understand that the only, the only things that really matter in our lives are things that God has blessed us with and that God loves us without condition. There's, I, I get all that, Jared, but the reality is I think I'm really good at this, or I think I'm really good at that, or I think that, I get it, I get the struggle we all have, but here, here's the problem. I have found that it's the places where I feel strong, where I'm also the farthest from the heart of God. I don't know why that is. It's like the places I have to depend on him less, I pretty much try to handle it myself. And there are always damaging results that, that come about in my life and the life of other people because of it. And so when Jesus says to him in front of the, the disciples, 
Your strength is your wealth, but in the kingdom it's your weakness because you're not going to rely on me to take care of you because you can already, you think, take care of yourself. What is it in your life that's your strength that has allowed you to not keep going back to to God and ask for help to, to confess your dependence? A place where you feel confident that you look at it and you realize the heart of Jesus hasn't really shaped you nearly enough in that part of your life, a part of your soul. What, what is it? You know, have you ever tried to help somebody and they go, I got this? That never feels good. And I don't know if you remember this when you were raising toddlers, one of their favorite sentences when they finally are able to put some words together. I do it myself. Right? And there's times you're like, yeah, you go ahead, do it yourself. There's other times you think you're not all of us know what it's like to get to that place where we've got that, that distance, that, that self-determination. And, and Jesus says that, that's not how the kingdom works. There is no place in your life that you should be so confident in that you don't bring it to Jesus and say, use this to your glory. Help me do this in your way for your reasons. Brothers and sisters, I'll just tell you this right now. You have sat through plenty of sermons in your life where that preacher has not taken the time to come before the throne of God and ask for help. And they're full of themselves, and you may not know exactly why the sermon's off-putting, but you feel something where it's like, is this more about you than, than about the kingdom? That's what I'm trying to say. I, there's been Sundays I've preached that way. I'm not trying to throw any other preacher under the bus. I've done plenty of things that I could throw myself under the bus all day long and we still have time. I'm telling you, what I'm trying to make the point is, it doesn't matter if someone's worship leading. It doesn't matter if they're preaching. It doesn't matter if they're serving the poor. It doesn't matter what they're doing. If they're doing it because they've got it, if they're doing it because they don't need God's help, then the second they continue to do it in that way for that reason, it stops being kingdom. And it just becomes my personal agenda. You know, Jesus says you got to make a choice. And he makes it clear what's possible and what's impossible, right? And in, in this story, he says it's impossible for us to claim that what we're doing, we're doing for him, right? That he holds the highest place in our hearts when someone or something else actually does. Whether that's how people see us or who we're trying to impress or overcome or whatever it is. Even when we have tried to make the commitment to say, I want to be a person who gets to experience the kingdom, there are all these opportunities every single day for us to kind of back out of that decision and say, well, all these things in my life, they're about Jesus, but these, these things over here, they're just, they're for me. And Jesus says, you got to make a choice and you need to tell the truth because let me tell you what's impossible It's impossible to fool God. It's super possible to fool yourself. He's either the most important thing. He's the reason you do everything you do or he isn't. He's the power that helps you do everything you do or he isn't. And so what I I want you to, to wrestle with this question this week, and I can't answer it for you, But here's the question. What could Jesus ask you to walk away from that could cause you to walk away from him? 
What could Jesus ask you to walk away from that could cause you to walk away from him? Now, I want to go back to what he says. Peter says, look, we've left our homes and our families to follow you. And so he says, yeah, all the people who've left their families to follow me, brothers and sisters and father and mother and everybody who's left home to follow me, they're going to be honored in the kingdom because that's the way of the kingdom, right, is that we walk away from the things that hold our ultimate devotion so that we can redirect that devotion where, where it's supposed to, to be, where it's supposed to, to go, how it's supposed to work. It's Jesus, right? We were made for that kind of relationship with Jesus. Now, I want to be clear here. What Jesus is going to ask you to do in relationship to the people in your family, it could very well be that there's a season in your life when, because you're trying to serve Jesus, you're actually not living in the same place the rest of your family does. Right? I, I often think about my family in Portland, and I, we basically get to see them a handful of times a year. Part of that's because uh, a little goes a long way. But part of that's because <laughs> I feel called to be here, right? That, that's where I feel called to be. And my parents feel called to be where they are. And my dad's doing ministry work there. We're not together as much as we'd like to be, right? So you, the, the Wallaces, I see, you know, they don't get together. Be together. I see you, David. You're smiling way more at me today than you normally ever are. I think I know why, right? Like, there's, there's people that do that, okay? And that's absolutely part of what Jesus is talking about. But I also want to be clear to you that there's a way to live in the same home with your family and relate to your family in a way that Jesus would call into question. I, I think, I don't, what I'm trying to get to here is, I don't think Jesus is saying that every single one of us are going to be called to physically get up and leave the same house or the same town where our families live. I think what he's saying is, are, are you in a relationship with your father or your mother or your sister or your brother or your wife or your husband? Are you in that relationship for you or him? Because the world would tell you all those relationships are about you. And Jesus says, no, your relationship with me is primary. So how you're going to relate to everybody else in your life who means the most to you the way you're going to live that sacrifice, that devotion, is I should be able, Jesus says, I should be able to see how your commitment to me is shaping your commitment to them. Because you may be married. You may have parents. You may have siblings. You may have all those relationships in your life. But if you think that you can be in those relationships for your, or if you think those relationships on their own are enough, they aren't. So as you think of your closest friends and family and you think of how you interact with them and how you treat them, is it kingdom or is it you? Man, that's hard. So if, if one thing that Jesus may ask me to walk away from is seeing my marriage primarily as what I'm getting out of it. To ask, how can I be Christ to Lauren more and more every single day? That's what my marriage is about. So I'm going to walk away from the version of marriage that the world tells me makes perfect sense. Or if you're a kid in this room and you're living with your parents and, you know, who knows? Depends on the, the week, depends on the month, depends on how much you feel like you understand each other. You know what? The bottom line is how you treat your parents is how you treat Jesus. 
there were many a Sunday I wouldn't have wanted to hear the preacher say that from the stage. But it's true. So you have to walk away from some version of being a kid where you think family life is all about you getting what you want. I could keep going and make you more uncomfortable. I want you to wrestle with this question. What is it that Jesus is asking you to walk away from so that you can walk farther and farther into the experience of the kingdom? All of us have something left to give. That's the truth. All of us are wealthy in something. All of us are strong in some way, and we get full of ourselves, and anytime we get full of ourselves, we are less full of Christ. That's a problem. What is it that Jesus is asking you to walk away from? And do you have the courage to say yes? We're going to sing together now, uh, and as we do, I want you to be preparing your hearts for the week that is to come, for the conversations and the interactions you're going to have, the people you're going to relate to, and I want you to find out whatever it is that means the most to you. What, what relationship, what skill, what, what talent, what opportunity, what means the most to you? And can you give it to Jesus in service of the kingdom? Let's stand and sing.